Welcome to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. And welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. Wow, what a terrific couple of Farcasts we've had, and what a roller coaster of a ride we've had with markets. Sadly, ladies and gentlemen, the larger part of the roller coaster ride has been scorching, and it has been downhill. Markets do this from time to time. We've been telling you about that on the Farcast. If you've been listening to the Farcast, you've been listening to Kenny Polcari, you've been listening to Jim Urio, you've been even listening to our friend from the Washington Post, Tom Heath, on the markets. Markets do this, and these are opportunities. Though I've got to tell you, when we get to Kenny Polcari's section tonight in just a second, you're going to find out that even the Secretary of the Treasury, Timothy Geithner, former Treasury Secretary, has taken note of Kenny's appearances on CNBC, and it's been critical. I think it's unfair, but we're going to talk to Kenny. First, please remember that we believe that money is hard to make. And on the forecast, we believe in old-fashioned research, hard work, discipline, and patience. These are the keys to successful investing. If you are an investor through these down markets, you understand that you have to know what the fundamentals are and that you've got a and that you've got really a good balance sheet behind some of the companies you own. They'll see you through during difficult times. Finally, remember that emotion is the foe of the long term investor. If you're a long term investor, you're feeling scared or you're feeling uh, too happy. I can't imagine happy. But if you're starting to feel scared and that you want to sell everything, take a breath, walk around the block and talk to a financial expert. That's exactly what we're going to do right now on the Farcast. We're going to talk to my great friend, Kenny Polcari, who is a managing director, head of floor operations at O'Neill Securities on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, You have seen him on CNBC for years. He is the go-to voice, when I'm not around, uh, for for, uh, market fluctuations and insights. Uh, he is, of course, tall and debonair, eloquent and very handsome and much older than I am. Hey, Kenny, welcome back to the Farcast. <laughs> Michael, always a pleasure to be with you. The pleasure is ours, KP. The pleasure is ours. Okay, Kenny, uh, other than uh, uh, pissing off the Secretary of the Treasury, tell us, <laughs> tell us what you've been up to on the floor of the Senate. Down 550 points. We're negative for the year, Dow, S&P. What's going on, dude? Right, but Michael, do you remember, and we've discussed this a couple of times, right, after the uh, the market's in the middle of the throes of trying to figure it out, trying to find its foundation, trying to find some stability once again, all created once again by the, by the, by the spike in interest rates back in October, right? Remember that? When they spiked up to three and a quarter, and then all of a sudden the market came unglued. It broke down yes. through every technical support, and it did it very swiftly. It was not methodical at all. And so as a result of that, and we keep talking about this, the market now has to find a level. And until it does that, you're going to have these continued days of volatility, and the market will react based on the news of the day. So if the news is positive, you'll get a little, you'll get a little jump in the market. Then it immediately turns negative again, or somebody gets more concerned about growth, or somebody gets concerned about interest rates, or somebody gets concerned about you know, what 2019 is going to look like, and there's a recession closer than we thought, and blah, 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 and oil gets weak, and then the market focuses on the negative, and once again, 
again tries to find some stability. And it's exactly what you're seeing. And we talked about this because guess where we are? We're right back at the lows of October when it broke down the first time. And I said to you, the market needs to retest that low to make sure that the buyers are going to be there to defend that position. And we got down to 26.34. Really, we got to get down to 26.20 is really the, the number I'm looking at. Uh, for the market to really test it. And my sense is I think it is going to go there. I think once it gets there, it is going to be tested, and the buyers will defend it, and then the market will start to stabilize. And, you know, that could be tomorrow. That could be, you know, Friday, although Friday's going to be a – Friday's going to – you can't really count Friday. It's only a half a day and really light, light volume. But tomorrow I think you could see in the morning a push lower. I think it's going to test it, and then I think it's going to find some stability. Okay, so let's. I, I want to come up with a couple of, 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 of rules here because you're, you're, there, there's a lot that's so complicated and a lot that's so distracting. So the one, number one message from Kenny is that the market is in the process of finding a bottom, uh, and the bottom that you're looking for it to hold is around 2620 on the S&P 500. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. We haven't – do you think that and, – and your opinion is – that that bottom's going to hold, that we're not going to pierce through it, and we're not going to go into a bear market. Right. I don't believe we're going to – I don't – that's right. I believe it's going to hold. The only reason that I could imagine that you, we could pierce through that and pierce through it then fairly fairly uh, swiftly is if all of a sudden the news turns completely negative, so negative that, you know, the, the, the market is so ill-prepared. Look, the market is not ill-prepared. We know that Bernanke is going to raise uh, – Bernanke, Powell is going to raise rates in, in December. We know that. Seventy percent – the chances are still 70% that he's going to do it. And quite honestly, I think he should do it. I think that he should do it because the economy is, in fact, so fairly strong. Look, earnings came out. So earnings were great. Forward guidance was a little bit weaker. But we already knew that in 2019 that the, that the earnings were going to start to – the forecasts were going to start to pull in. So there's no new news there, right? The only thing that's happening is as rates start to go up, there are alternatives for other income-producing assets. And so people that have been invested in markets because rates were near zero to zero for 10 years are now thinking, okay, where else can I put my money? Where else can I get some exposure? Are stocks a little bit overvalued? Certainly they were overvalued, I think. We can all, we can all argue that. But they were overvalued because rates were near zero. And so now that okay. rates are starting to normalize, what's proper valuation? Right. And what do you what, and, I mean? Well, proper valuation – Right. Once what? it finds its bottom, that will be the proper valuation, at least for now, until based on the macro data that we're seeing, based on forecasts going forward, based on what they think, you know, the economy is going to do. And listen, don't, okay, don't, so don't. Here's what I want to ask you. Uh, here's what I want to ask you. This seems, when I looked at yesterday and I looked at today and the past couple of weeks, there seems to be more volatility. Uh, there seems to be more drama in some of these down days, even some of the up days. And yesterday, I saw – well, I saw it last night when you, when you sent me a note last night, which I always appreciate when you do that. Thank you. But there was almost twice the volume of the entire day in the last three minutes. That's right. Tell me about it, that. What does that mean? Is, is that adding to the vol? No, it, no, because what it does is – here's what you have to understand about that, is that the market, U.S. capital market structure is very fragmented today, right? Post-9-11, the New York Stock Exchange is no longer the central marketplace. There are 10 exchanges, so all day long stocks trade amongst 10 exchanges plus the alternative venues that exist known as dark pools, right? And that happens all day long, and so the volume is very fragmented. But 
in the end on the final sale because all these mutual funds and all these ETFs are all priced against the, the mother market. The mother market in this case is the New York Stock Exchange. In the last three minutes, all that volume that's fragmented all comes back to the New York Stock Exchange so they, get, they can participate on that final trade so that their stocks are priced in the, in the mother market. So therefore, when they do their net asset values and they figure out their, their values, it's done off, off the the uh, official close. And the official close for New York Stock Exchange stocks is the close on the New York Stock Exchange, not the close on NASDAQ, which could be different, not the close on ARCA, which could be different. Even if it's by a penny, it could be different. Okay, and so, so what if, happens if, is... So what happens well, okay. is in the last three minutes, that volume comes yeah. from all those, all those other exchanges, right. and it comes into the New York Stock Exchange for the last how many, for the final trade. How, how, what was the volume yesterday? It was a billion. So the what? volume yesterday was just, just $910 million, but at 355 it was $457 million, and at 4 o'clock it was $900 million. So they traded almost so, 100% uh, okay. of the volume in three minutes. So that right. 910, 910 million shares that traded yep. in New York Stock Exchange stock yesterday. Is there an additional volume that happens in the dark pools, or does it finally all get recorded at the 11th no, hour? So, so the 900 million, like today we traded 999 million. That's what traded here at the New York Stock Exchange. That's the New York Stock Exchange number only. If you want the composite number, then you have to look, you have to look on Bloomberg. You have to look at one of the providers, and it'll give you a composite number, which is a combination of every exchange that exists. So whether it's the TRF, which is the, which is the trade reporting facility for the dark pools, whether it's NASDAQ, ARCA, uh, BATS, IEX, they take all that volume um, and they combine it. So I can tell you exactly what that total volume number was if you give me one minute. Uh, so, okay, so. but uh, let, let me, here's what I'm saying. Are all of the computerized trading, all of the quants out there uh, that, I've, that, you and, that we've talked about before, those are not adding to volatility? Yes, they're absolutely adding. It's adding to the volatility okay, for sure. I thought you said was it adding to volume. Yes, no, no, no it's absolutely no, adding to volatility. No, it's adding to volatility because the market's so fragmented that increases the volatility. On on down days, the volatility is even more exaggerated because there's pressure on the market. It, does, it no okay. one really minds it so much on the up days, but on the down days is when you really feel it. So all of this, so all there is, there is more uh, volatility this time around as we're going through this correction than we yeah. have seen probably five years ago. That's that's correct, and and that's yeah. happening. Number one, because the technology's gotten more sophisticated, the venues continue to be the venues continue to be fractured, right? And so therefore, um, that only adds to it, especially when there's nervousness. But then, when the market breaks, and when I talk about that, that's that whole technical break of the 50, the 100, yes. the 200-day moving yes. averages. That just causes the risk um, the risk management uh, portfolio products to only right. increase on that increase that volatility. And so okay, selling so to get Kenny selling, says, right? Because so that Kenny says we're in the middle. Number one, we're in the middle of finding a bottom. Number two, there is it is going to be a, a little more dramatic this time because we are seeing more volatility as a result of these quants or computer trading out there. Uh, but you're also saying, Kenny, that the market's working its way out in a fairly normal way. 
Is that yes, correct? I, I mean, it's, it's doing what it needs to do. Well, it's doing what it needs to do, and individual names are, are getting beaten up, but that's, but that's typically what happens, right? And so when you look at, when you certainly, we can talk about the, the, the tech stocks and some of the FANG stocks, right? Those names had performed so, so well, but listen, in retrospect, based on where we are in the economy, based on what's going on with the trades, they were probably overvalued. And then instead of methodically kind of selling off, there ends up being this, everyone's running for the door at the same time because they're going, I'm trying to get out the door before you are, and then what happens yeah. is it feeds on itself, right? And then you have yeah, this, right. what feels like a sense of collapse, and, and although, you know, we're flat on the year, um, you know, it's not a complete disaster on the year, right? I mean, the, the Dow and the S&P are just barely negative, and the, and, the, and the NASDAQ's holding on just barely positive. Now, we you still got a month and a half to go, though, so now, right, Kenny? You think, you, think this majority, you think that the majority of this is over then, that, this, that, the, that we're I coming through a correction, huh? I think the majority is over. I think we're going to find stability right here down at 26, uh, 2620. Um I think that's where we're going to find it. Now, look, tomorrow's going to be – tomorrow's the day before Thanksgiving. You know, you'll have trading, active trading, until about 11 o'clock. Then it's going, to, it's going to fall off sharply. Friday, there'll be hardly any volume. It's a half a day. So you really have to start to wait till next week. And listen, here's the other thing, don't forget, is that when people are away from their desk, the, the, the move up or down can be really exaggerated because there's less people paying attention. There's less people man- manning the desk, right, which is, right, I think, what right. you're seeing happen it, it, this week. Oh, and we, you know, you know, over the years we've always said the JV team is in because the varsity's already left early for vacation. <laughs> right. You know, that's what happens on the desk. So, Kenny, we got to wrap up here, but this has been such an important time in the markets as we get into year end. So, you're not expecting a bear market, which is a down 20% market. This is a right. market correction, which is a down 10% market. Coming into year end, we could even close up on the year if, if this well, bottom holds. Well, we could, except, and although I thought we were going to close closer to the highs, you know, a month ago, I thought, I thought you know, we were going to get through this noise and, and resume. Uh, um, I'm not so sure we're going to do that. I do, though, think that we're going to find stability here, and then we're going to rally into the, into the end of the year. But I don't think it's going to be a rally that takes us to the previous highs or to new highs. I think, it, I think if, we, if we bounce, you know, 4 or 5% and end the year up, you know, 5%, I think that's probably about where we're going to be. But listen, just just so you understand, and you can you can cut me off if you need to. The New York I'm Stock Exchange traded a billion shares today, right? Nine hundred ninety-nine million. So say a billion. Yep. The total yep. market volume across every exchange that existed, plus the dark, plus the alternative venues, was nine billion shares. So we only traded wow. we traded basically twelve percent of the total volume at the New York Stock Exchange. Wow. The rest of wow. it trades. In, in these alternative venues, which makes it more difficult. And so that fractured marketplace creates more volatility. That's absolutely amazing. And I bet uh, I, 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 I had no idea. I wonder how many of our listeners had any idea that that much of the volume traded away from the floor now. That's absolutely right. remarkable. We're going to talk about that on another forecast. My friend Kenny Polcari from O'Neill Securities explaining to us what's going on giving you some insights, walking you through the process, and both Kenny and I are going to tell you, this is not a time when Warren Buffett panics. This is not a time when Kenny panics or Farr panics. We've got sharp pencils out, and we're looking for value. We're continuing to invest uh, with a lot uh, of discipline, um, and, and, and we're doing our research. Right, Kenny? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Kenny Polcari from O'Neill Securities. Happy Thanksgiving, Kenny. Thanks for being with us on the Farcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be right back with, this is a treat, Matt Leffingwell. He's going to explain to us what's going on 
on Capitol Hill. You're listening to Forecast. Do you have an upcoming function and need a dynamic speaker to engage your audience? You've enjoyed listening to the Farcast, so why not invite Michael Farr to speak at your next event? In addition to hosting the Farcast and serving as president of the advisory firm Farr, Miller, and Washington, Michael is the longest-serving paid contributor to CNBC. He is recognized by audiences, and his presentations on the economic outlook are always well-received. Michael has recently appeared at such venues as the Economic Club of Memphis, the University of Delaware, Matheson Financial Conference, and the YPO-WPO Economic Summit. Add your event to the growing list of organizations who have been informed and captivated by Michael. For more information or to book Michael for an upcoming event, please email me, Harry Jennings, at hjennings at farmiller.com or call me at 202-530-5608. so much for being with us again this week. What a terrific segment with Kenny Polcari. Fabulous to hear his insights. You know, he's been on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange for over 30 years. He started interning there when he was 18 years old. Uh, it, it is remarkable to have his years of experience with us offering insights. He is the insider's insider. And uh, he does have a Twitter follower whose name is Tim Geithner, who was not happy with him, and I was teasing him about it before we went on the air. He's pretty sure that it's not the Tim Geithner. I'm not so sure. I can't imagine how any Treasury secretary could do his job without following Kenny Polcari very closely. So anyway, I'm, I'm glad I didn't have to give him that plug while he was actually listening and still on with us. <laughs> now, a great treat. As we go from Wall Street to Washington, and then we're going to go back to Wall Street here at the end again, because with the market and gyrations, we're going to give you more information here on the forecast, even more insights with the director and global head of research and strategy at Allianz. She is terrific. Mona is terrific. She's been on the board. Right now, Matt Leffingwell joins us. He focuses on budget and appropriations at Peck, Madigan, and Jones, with a particular focus on defense and foreign policy. Matt worked at the One Campaign. He was, uh, ran House Appropriations. He was uh, director of coalitions and member services. He worked on Capitol Hill. He was chief of staff for Representative Kay Granger. And most important, I mean, really the most, probably the most impressive thing he's done in his entire career was he was a vice president with Farr, Miller, and Washington. (laughs) Welcome back, Matt Leffingwell. Michael, I missed you. Uh, Who doesn't? Right. Uh, You're only human. (laughs) Just the family, right? (laughs) Uh, It's it's lovely to have you back Lovely to be back. Uh, I can't wait. Uh, Thank you. Tell, so, Matt, there is so much going on. We're worried about tariffs. We're worried about worried about a caravan on the border. We're worried about what's going on with Khashoggi. We're what's going on uh, in Europe and with China and South America. Now uh, might be uh, we may have a terrorist country now in uh, South America. Tell us what you're seeing and what's going on in Washington. You know, really, I think, you know, still Washington is responding to the elections right now. I've been really spending a lot of time up on the Hill the last few days. I think there's a lot of chatter up there about like the, you know, the the sort of, well, related to the markets, a lot of a lot of chatter about the tech industry uh, legislating on the tech industry. There's privacy legislation that's being drafted right now. now Because that that could be really interesting to our uh, to our investing listeners. If there's chatter on 
on Capitol Hill on the tech industry. What sort of chatter is there? What are they talking about that actually might end up affecting our stocks? Well, I think there's the privacy legislation. I mean, you've seen states take their own independent actions on privacy legislation. And I represent a number of tech clients right now. And, you know, there needs to be you can't have each state sort of coming up with their own you know privacy standards at the moment. So they're, so the big associations that represent the tech industry are trying to come up with some compromise or some, you know, some some, you know, uh, uniform. Conformity uh, with privacy legislation at the moment. I mean, frankly, I think there could be a constitutional violation with each state, uh, you know, coming up with their own, you know, their own standards. I mean, this is interstate commerce, and you need to have some, some, you know, some uniformity. I mean, that's frankly why you have. Uh, you know, interstate commerce addressed in in our U.S. Constitution. So right now, that's that is a, there's a lot of chatter there. Also, you know, we're looking to see how this if this wall gets funded or not. I mean, that's you know, as you mentioned in my introduction. I mean, the home, you know, we're you know, the Trump loves the narrative of this you know caravan coming up from the south. Um, and, you know, how necessary it is to build this wall. However, you know, Democrats are uh, playing ball with this. Just I think they just want to put this Congress behind them and then, you know, wait till Pelosi has control of the House. Um, you know, like, you know, parallel to that, there were a number of organizational meetings at the, you know, organizational, uh, you know, events right now on the Hill. We're getting to know the new members. Um, there are a number of them. There is a net gain for the Democrats of 39 seats. In the House, uh, I don't think anybody was really that surprised. But I think what was notable there was that the Senate had, you know, went the opposite direction. Republicans have now a 52-47 majority there. And that's the this is only the fourth time that's actually happened since World War II, which is actually very interesting to me that I, I found the I found the election to be sort of, you know, predictable, yet very fascinating from that standpoint. Well, okay. so let me go back to a couple of things you just talked about, because I think it's all very interesting. But um, let's go to that privacy standard. How would that privacy standard, even if it's state by state? And by the way, you know, as soon as you said state by state, Matt, I was thinking, hell, the state, the states are all doing um, uh, marijuana laws, legalizing marijuana state by state. And yet it's still illegal federally. Sure. I mean, how how is this how how is this state by state standard different from that well, I mean, first of all, like uh, technology is not, you know, is not a violation of federal law. I mean, it's it's a, you know, t- communications of technology has, you know, there's been a number of uh, cases before the Supreme Court about, you know, about interstate commer- uh, commerce as it relates to the tech, uh, to, you know, uh, to the tech industry already. So, like, this is this is something that the expectation is that there has to be something uh, soon or else, you know, the states are going to get out of control. Industry wants something very very badly. So you have to get the oracles, the Facebooks, the Microsofts to all get in the room and agree on language that would be, you know, uh, you know, be you know, satisfactory for them and their investors and their boards. Is there anything that they're going to do that's going to increase costs? For any of the tech, what are they going to do that's going to increase the cost? I think it's just you know. I mean, look. I think they're in the very early stages right now, trying to get consensus between different all these different companies. You know, some of the massive companies, right? Like the ones that dragged down the market earlier today, right? Uh, So, I mean, trying to get a consensus with these with within industry is going to be a, a slog. I, I don't even see it happening in the next Congress, especially when you have, you know, uh, Republicans in one chamber and, and Dems controlling the other. 
So this sounds like some legislation and some regulation that probably is needed but won't affect the bottom line of the, a lot of these companies quite I mean, yet. I, I think it's assumed that these companies are going to have to make some sort of investment into into the privacy infrastructure in order, you know, in order to, uh, you know, in order to be whatever this legislation, you know, dictates at the end of the day. I mean, again, they wanted to get some pen to paper before the end of this Congress. That it's in process. You may see something introduced. Obviously, we won't go there, but they'll take the legislation and pick it up in the next Congress, it's assumed. Okay. So go back to the wall. You, you, said, you said you think that the Democrats will go along with the funding for the wall right now? I, I, think, the, I think the Democrats would rather avert a government shutdown over wall funding. Um, and, you know, the Trump is not going to. Is that a real threat? I mean, a government shutdown coming up in December? Well, I don't I don't I really am not going to play into that narrative. I think that like there's not I think you I think you're going to see like I, members of Congress have kind of moved past the government shutdown, uh, you know, being a success for either party. I think, you know, the American public sees a shutdown as being a failure for both. And, you know, really, like, the wall, you know, Dems on the Senate side right now are negotiating on wall funding. I don't think he's going to get the $5 billion that he wanted in the, in, you know, from the House appropriations uh, level that, uh, you know, the House had surpassed their own version of the wall funding, and the Senate did the same. The Senate was much lower. Uh, but I do think you're going to see some funding. I'm, I'm going to guess it's in some the Some funding, three, okay. Yeah, I think cool. it's in the three now, to four. Leahy's playing ball right now. He's playing ball. That's yep. good to know. Okay, so tell me about tell, let's let's go to the leadership for a few more minutes uh, here. Uh, are we going to get Nancy Pelosi uh, again as Speaker of the House? And Maxine Waters now is the head of the Finance Committee. Yes, that's correct. Yep. And you know Pelosi, and, and Pelosi. In fact, Pelosi? a lot of these people, right? Like a lot of, a lot of these members that had initially signed this letter uh, that they were going to oppose Pelosi are backing off right now. They know Pelosi's a brilliant brilliant uh tactician when it comes to like you know keeping her her caucus in line um she's gonna be she's gonna be elected hands down yeah maxine waters will take the gavel uh at you know financial services um the democrats on the campaign trail of uh you know pledged investigations they did and they and regulate you know going after some of the you know deregulation that the trump administration has has proceeded so we with. expect maxine waters uh, as chairman is going to be much tougher on the banks and the regulations are not without going to get a doubt. easier uh, certainly yeah okay. but I mean, but the so, real the real uh, question this is not as an easy and operating environment for the banks or the financial no price. not at all but i mean I, but at the end of the day you have a divided congress trump is going into his reelection right now i just don't see how anything's going to get done so i mean sure you could have the, you can have the hearings and you can you know go after you know, the banks and sort of, you know, a public setting. But beyond that, I don't see any any sort of legislation, uh, regulatory legislation directed at the financial industry um, actually getting okay, enacted. What about more broadly on infrastructure? Infrastructure, can they get them to agree? Because Trump, you know, the Trump administration, I think, is still intent on the infrastructure spend and rebuilding it. And it's also, of course, a great fiscal policy. It pumps a lot more money into the economy, which I think the president would probably like to do. Yeah, but except, you know, the problem is that Trump has gone to all his agency heads and asked for them to come back with a 5% cut. Now, the, uh, the second to that is that sequestration comes back into effect absent 
a you know a budget deal that that he's going to have to cut with Pelosi and with McConnell. There's no I just don't see why Trump politically would not like welcome a spending fight with Nancy Pelosi going into his reelection. I mean, I just I it, it, I would advise him to have one if I was the White House chief of staff and I didn't believe so in good, you think, good so governance. You don't think you don't think, uh, you don't think the next two years you think he's really going to be much more of a lame duck president? I mean, he can clearly do stuff on tariffs. He can still do stuff on immigration. But anything legislatively you think is dead? I, I No, no. I mean, I think they can. I, the one thing I think they're already finding commonality on is drug pricing and drug importation. I mean, that is one thing that they have already, like, you know, come come to grips on. I mean, there's a great op, uh, editorial in The Wall Street Journal today that outlines, you know, all the things that Trump has already done to reduce drug pricing. That's a huge uh, commonality that he has with, you know, the, Demo- the, the Democrats and pl- with Pelosi. Um, I just don't see, like, you know, the money piece of it really coming together without, like, there are all being major sacri- political sacrifices for for the president. And he's not really one to uh, back down uh, and make sacrifices. Okay. Uh, and you read that in the Wall Street Journal today? That's correct. Yep. And uh, do you read the Wall Street Journal most every day? I sure do. Did you read the front page of the Wall Street Journal yesterday where Michael Farr was well, president of I, I, I used it to start my fire last night. <laughs> it's a good fire starter because there is a lot of fodder in there. Yeah, it, it felt, felt a little more flammable to me. Absolutely. Uh, I was uh, thank you to Akani Otani from the Wall Street Journal for getting me on the front page, albeit below the fold, below the fold. I'll take it anyway. And I appreciate it, Connie. The bad stuff's Uh, always above. (laughs) I think, yes. So it's not all that bad to be below the fold. But one of the things that I was saying, uh, Matt, uh, uh, was, you know, for a number of years, we've had this market with all of this money fueling it for monetary policy and tax cuts and everything, driving prices higher. And you could buy, and my quotation was, I didn't think she was going to use this one. You know, we talked for about 20 minutes. But I said, you can't just buy stuff willy-nilly now and expect it to go up. Of course, she got the willy-nilly quote on the front page of the (laughs) Wall Street Journal, for God's sake. But basically, you have to be careful. And there are places where you have discipline. I think you can begin to I think you can begin to buy. So that's what we were talking about yesterday on the Wall Street Journal and we were talking about with Kenny. Anyway, right. Matt, great. it is great to have you back on the far. Oh, it's fun to be we back. Need well, to of have course. You back more. Yeah. Um, OK, so between now and the end of the year, steady as she goes and we don't have a government shutdown is no. what we are hearing from Matt Leffingwell. Correct. correct. Matt? Yep, that's right. We're going to hope my predictions are always 100 <laughs> percent. They're 100 uh, percent in one direction or another. Yes. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that is the great Matt Leffingwell. We're going to be right back. On the Farcast. You're listening to Farcast. Thank you for listening to the Farcast every week. Are you interested in a daily update on the investment world when you wake up? Beginning in December, you can listen every weekday morning to the Farcast three minute morning brief. Futures, overseas markets, and headlines in three minutes to start your day. Watch on Apple Podcasts and other major podcast platforms to subscribe and listen. Coming in December, the Farcast three minute morning brief. Now more with Michael Farr and the Farcast. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. What fabulous music that is, Claude. Thank you so much. That's wonderful. like to hear that every time. What a terrific Farcast we're having. Fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. 
uh, Kenny Polcari giving us insights on it. On a day that's down 550 points, the S&P 500 is near a 10% correction. The Dow is in correction territory. The, uh, we're still in positive territory, barely for the NASDAQ. But uh, the, we're, this looks like a, a fairly classic correction. Then, we, he, Kenny thinks that's going to hold, by the way. One, he thinks we're finding a bottom. The volatility is increasing because a lot of the quants and the electronic trading. But he thinks it's going to hold. We will see. And he thinks it's going to hold at 26.20 on the S&P 500. And now we went then to Capitol Hill. And we understand that there are a lot of privacy laws, a lot of legislation going on with, uh, from Matt Leffingwell about a lot of the social media companies and tech companies and how that might affect our stocks going forward into 2019. He also sees a president who is not going to get a lot done with Congress. Uh, he thinks it's going to be a more difficult time, but we will see about that, too. Now, Mona Mahajan is absolutely one of my favorite people to see on CNBC because I can always learn something. Ladies and gentlemen, you're, you're going to learn something tonight from Mona. It is terrific to have her insights. She is the chief U.S. investment strategist and director with Allianz Global Investors. This is a huge firm, huge. She's a part of the global economics and strategy team. She provides U.S. retail and institutional clients with, with uh, unique investment thought leadership. She's really, she's terrific. And by the way, li listen to this resume just, just quickly. She uh, has a bachelor's degree in economics from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, also has a degree in computer science from the University of Pennsylvania. But Mona's not done. She has her MBA from the Harvard Business School. You find a better resume out there, send it to me, will you? She's just one of the smartest people I know in the business, and she's got such a level head. It's a great pleasure, Mona, to welcome you back to the Farcast. Thank you, Michael. What an introduction. Wow. Thanks. Yeah, send it to your Hopefully mother. The bar is not too high. She's listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, uh, I meant every word of it, and it's and it is a great pleasure always. When I know I'm on TV with you, I kind of relax because sometimes you get on TV with people and you don't know where they're coming from or where they're going to go with some some of their comments. And I always feel such a huge responsibility to the individual investor whenever I'm on TV. I'm, I'm aware that Fred and Ethel are listening to us. And I try to say responsible things, and I'm always so comforted when I'm on with you because you do say those sound, reasonable, thoughtful sort of things that I think help uh, the, the, the average investor. So uh, it really is comforting. Well, All right. Great. Um, so I can't, we had Kenny Pocari on. He says he thinks that the market is finding a bottom, that it is a correction. He thinks we will ultimately hold 26.20, maybe 20 points lower than where we are. Uh, the volatility is increasing, but he doesn't see this trending into a bear market. Mona, tell us what you're seeing and what you think. And, and is Kenny, yeah. Kenny make sense? I don't know. Tell us, please. You know, in a lot of ways, that, that makes sense, that general framework. Look, we're down 9% now from the September 20th highs. Um, we came off of midterm elections. A lot of the narrative that was in the market was that prior to midterm elections, you get volatility, and then after elections are over, you know, you kind of get this nice bump upwards into Q4. But we're not seeing that right now, and I think that's 
bothering a few people, maybe making a few people nervous. Um, what we are seeing is, like we talked about, an S&P that's about 9% off its high. But when you look one layer deeper from there, about 40% of the S&P is in bear market territory, meaning 20% plus correction. And a lot of those names that are 20% plus correction are actually names that are widely held. Think FANG, think some of the larger uh, biotech, healthcare, even some of the retail names. And so people are feeling it, even if the average Joe, like you talked about, all the way up to the institutional investors that we're talking to. So there is this sense that there's this market churn happening. Um, what we're seeing from a fundamental perspective, we're looking at four broad themes here. One, the U.S. economy remains intact. But can it decouple? And keep that in mind. Uh, the second theme is trade, and we'll, we'll probably get some um, some progress or some news around that in the November 29th meeting, President Trump and President Xi. The third theme, of course, is the Fed, and that's a big one. Um, what they do, not only in December, but what they say in December will make a big difference. And then the final one is slowing global growth. And that is actually becoming a real theme, uh, starting with Europe and its rollover. Now we're seeing in China, um, not only from a trade perspective, but their real uh, PMI economic metrics are starting to roll over as well. So there are broad themes that are worrisome. But at the end of the day, what we look at is, you know, can a U.S. economy that is still growing at 2.9% this year, probably slowing to 2.5% next year, very much later cycle, can markets continue to perform in, in that type of backdrop? And generally what we've seen historically is that in a late cycle environment, markets can do okay as long as we're not in a recession or entering a recessionary environment, and that's not our base case. So that's where we are right now. When we think about the technicals, you know, Kenny mentioned 2620. The other number that we're looking for on the S&P is 2580. That was the February lows, and that's another yes. one where we feel like if it can hold that, um, we may start to see some buyers step in. So, you know, okay. going to leave it that. that See, that's so reasonable. I mean, that makes such sense in the way that you just broke it down for everybody saying, look, the economy's intact. We have this trade issue going on. President meets with the Chinese, you know, at the end of this month. We've got a Fed statement coming up with an expected Fed raise coming up. We've got slower global, global growth. We've got 40 percent of the S&P already down 20 percent. So if, if we have all of those things going on, uh, you don't see any kind of a bear market on the horizon or a recession, do you? Or do you? Uh, you, you don't see a recession in your, in your, in your math. Certainly not a recession, and obviously a recession technically is two quarters back-to-back -back of negative GDP growth. Um, that is not happening. You know, there are a lot of – there's talk about how we have probably hit a peak year, and that certainly could be the case in terms of economic growth. What do you growth. mean in, in terms of economic growth and probably earnings, too? What do you think about earnings? Yeah, so, you know, the other story or one of the other themes that has come out is that you know, next year's earnings growth is probably, right now, consensus is at 10% year-on-year growth. That's down from 20%, uh, tw perhaps even 25% at the end of the day for 2018. That's phenomenal earnings growth. You know, keep in mind, the last five years, average earnings growth was 5%. So we're we're really uh, knocking out of the park this year. Next year, we may slow to sub 10%. And I think that's one of the issues that has emerged is that, that even that 10% figure may be a little on the high will, side. I, yeah. I mean, that's what I see. I don't see how it could possibly be 10% next year with higher interest rates 
with the employment situation, with everything else we're seeing, I, I don't, I can't imagine uh, yeah. how we yeah. hit that 10 percent number. Tell, tell me, how does uh, we we watch oil fall almost seven percent today? <laughs> Yeah. What what does that what does that tell you? And I want to come back to healthcare too. But tell me what you yeah. make of, of yeah. this big drop in oil. Yeah, you know, um, one of the things we've been talking about on the oil front is that really the slowing growth theme, the way it's been manifesting itself in the marketplace is oil, and that's one of the themes where really a slowdown in global growth does directly impact oil prices. And I think the market's been telling us something by selling oil off like that. Now, keep in mind, the other part of the story is the demand side, or I'm sorry, the supply side. And the supply side, you know, there are concerns around that as well. We're not seeing the decline in supply that we were hoping for, and we may get some further news on that if OPEC and Saudi Arabia come together and do put together a supply cut in any way. But thus far, both the supply and demand picture are a little worrisome. You know, has it gone down too quick, too fast. That's it remains to be seen. But it really, we've had a tremendous sell-off from 85 levels in WTI to close to 50 levels now. Um, I, you know, I think that's one of the ways the market is. I mean, it's about a, but we've selling. seen about a 30 percent. We've seen about a 30 percent sell-off in what two months? Yeah, yep. Since October 3rd, I think was the peak. And so this, this, so look, you're really smart, and this stuff really boggles my mind. Particularly oil, I've never ever. Gold. The only thing you know, maybe tougher than oil for me is gold, uh, yeah. and I won't. I won't walk into that that uh, swamp right now. But on oil, how do you look at? It? I mean, I can't get it in my head over a two month period, a sixty day period, that you can see a thirty percent swing in the price of a global commodity. I mean, what is physical? What is what could possibly be different enough in the world in sixty days that you should see a thirty percent swing on a global commodity? I, I don't get that. Yeah. Well, keep in mind, a lot of it is momentum, and there are momentum players in the oil markets in particular. And so that can create a snowball effect when you're on the downside and you're kind of trying not to be the last one holding the bag. But, you know, I think we've seen a lot of uh, headline news around supply. You know, we, we started with the Iranian situation, and then President Trump came back with some exceptions to that, which increased supply. Um, we also are getting a tremendous supply boost from the U.S. as well. You know, the shale production has not stopped and we're getting uh, supply pumped in from here. And then you couple that with the, the shift in demand. You know, China is a huge oil cons consumer. Um, if there are worries that China is slowing, that certainly can impact oil markets, and we've seen that play out as well. So if you don't think this price in oil, I mean, so yep. when, when I see typically one of the things that we see when we see a steady progression in the price of oil, it means that there is some element of demand for oil. And that typically means we're in a period of economic expansion when you see a collapse. Now, part of this you're saying is trading and momentum and politics, which it clearly yeah. is. I mean, the headlines are full of it. What extent, to what extent do you think that the price of oil might be forecasting a really significantly lower growth China, lower growth Europe? and perhaps yeah. a much slower growth U.S. Is this the canary in the coal mine? Should we pay, be paying more attention to this? Yeah, I think when we look back at markets, we'll ultimately point to this drop in oil as the first kind of signal that global growth, you know, has really taken a turn and it's slowing. And so that's why 
um, when we talk about this slow unwind of global growth and can the U.S. actually decouple from this, it's it's difficult to see. You know, clearly the U.S. economy, 70% is a consumption story. It's, it's 70% of GDP comes from domestic demand. Um, so we can be somewhat isolated, uh, but not, not 100%. And so when we see this global growth picture slow substantially, it does create a, a yellow flag, at least for us, in terms of um, can our 2019 and 20 estimates actually be coming down a little? And I think, you know, as we talked about earlier, the answer is yes. Uh, 10% you are growth. so great, and I am. You are yeah. so great, and I am running out of time. But that, <laughs> no that is exact. I mean, this is this is so helpful as we think about trying to make sense of all the noise in the headlines. I want to ask one more question, if I yep. if I may. Um, when we talked to Matt Leffingwell about what's going on in Washington, one of the things that he said, and it seems we're seeing this in a lot in the media, is that the Democrats and the Republicans are, can, are finding little to agree on. But one of the things that they do agree on is health care and uh, fighting mm-hmm. higher drug costs and higher yes. drug prices. What are you telling Allianz clients about owning pharmaceuticals, owning Johnson & Johnson and Abbott Labs and all of the long list? Uh, Is that a bad place to be, or do they work out this scrimmage? And and tell me how it works. What do you think? Yeah. You know, I mean, generally, if a drug pricing deal goes through, which the odds are not – substantially high, um, that would hurt the pharma players, and especially those exposed to, obviously, drug pricing and drugs. Um, That being said, you know, when we look at the list of things that might get done between a a split Congress and President Trump, drug pricing is actually on that list, you know, probably somewhat behind infrastructure, but it's still a long way to go. Um, Neither party right now wants to give the other kind of a win before 2020, and so there's a lot more political strife than maybe um, meets the eye, even on issues where the parties can come together. Um, but you don't sound said, like there's a lot that's going to get done. Can I own the pharmaceuticals here comfortably for a I, while? Or Yes, I, I think you can, and that's because as we get later cycle, health care is something people cannot skimp on. And, and so it becomes one of those defensive uh, sectors. And, and right now, defensive seems to be holding up better. I love talking to you. You are one of the most fabulous Wall Street people and Wall Street analysts and, and, and thought leaders who also, in, in, in addition to this fabulous thought leader and so articulate, when I ask you a question, you actually answer the damn question. God bless you and keep you. Uh, well, uh, Mona, likewise, uh, Michael. Thank you so much. You are fabulous. so great to be on. Uh, invest, U.S. investment strategist, director with Allianz Global Investors, one of the smartest people I know. Thank you so much, Mona, for being on the forecast. I hope you'll come back. Absolutely. Thank you, Michael, and good luck with this market, everyone. Yes, with everyone. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to another forecast. Uh, we will be back uh, soon. I think we've got another forecast for you again next week. We're going to be back with you. We have some fabulous guests next week. And Uh, Please remember that if you think you heard any recommendation to buy or sell a security here on the forecast, you did not. If you're thinking about making any changes to your portfolio or your overall strategy, please contact a financial professional or give us a call at Farr, Miller, and Washington. Send me a note. I'm happy to introduce you to one of our very wonderful people, uh, very experienced, who can certainly hold hands and walk you through uh, these difficult moments. It's not easy investing, and it's not easy sorting your way through this dark wood to your financial goals. Farm Miller in Washington can help. Farm Miller 
farrmiller.com, F-A-R-R-Miller.com. Once again, we thank you for joining us on the Farcast. It is a privilege to be in your earbuds, in your home, in your cars, wherever you're taking us. We thank you. Please join us again next week. Please share us on social media and have a happy and healthy Thanksgiving from all of us on the Farcast, from Farmiller and Washington. We have so much to be grateful for in this wonderful country, the United States. We have a wonderful, educated workforce. Uh, we have uh, wonderful laws that, that protect property rights. This is the place for the American dream to continue, and we thank you for being a part of it. God bless you and keep you and all of your families this Thanksgiving. We'll be back next week. And from Naples, Florida, I'm Michael Farr.